Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Labor Day. Welcome into Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. It's very good to have you on your holiday weekend. If you're listening to this in the future via podcast, then I hope you had a very nice Labor Day. If you're listening live, I hope it's going well now. Barbecues, pools, the end of the summer as we know it. Not in terms of the weather necessarily, but definitely it's the traditional end of the American summer. And now we dive into the meat of the MLS season. We've got World Cup uh, World Cup qualifying coming up. We've got Confederations Cup playoff coming up. We've got European qualifying happening right now. Big, big weekend around the world. We're going to cover as much of it as we can today. We're grabbing Peter McVitie, Dutch football expert. He's going to join us to talk about exactly what's wrong with the Netherlands national team right now. It is just, it's terrible. It's really, really bad. Losers this weekend. And let's dive into the news and we'll touch on those European qualifiers. Some of the highlights from the last couple of days, uh, this FIFA break. Iceland has qualified. We previewed that last week when we talked to our friend Alexander Anderson. Iceland is in the tournament for 2016 in France. They got a 0-0 draw against Kazakhstan and got themselves into the tournament. That tiny island nation of 300,000 people is suddenly a power in the world's game and in uh, Europe, and they get to go to a big, big tournament. First time they've ever qualified for a major tournament. Speaking of small countries, Wales on the verge of qualification. They do have to wait. They got a 0-0 draw against Israel in Cardiff. So they've got a little work to do, but it's all looking very good for Gareth Bale and company. Belgium beat Cyprus one nothing. Some interesting things coming out of that game. Mark Wilmot's being very critical of Eden Hazard after that match, despite the fact the Belgians did win. Switzerland scores three goals in the final ten minutes and beat Slovenia three to two. England has now qualified for France twenty sixteen with a six nothing cruise over San Marino. Wayne Rooney scores a penalty in that game and ties Bobby Charlton for the all-time England scoring record with 49 goals. The Dutch, as I mentioned, losers, 3-0 in Turkey. Danger in danger of not qualifying. Is that where I actually did, didn't make a note of where that game was. They did lose to Turkey 3-0. Robin Van Persie talking about how terrible the situation is. All of this may stem, this is certainly Peter McVitie's opinion, 
from the uh, succession plan when Louis Van Hall stepped down as Dutch manager last year. Uh, now we're seeing the fruits of that, uh, the poison fruits of that decision. European qualifiers today. Armenia, Denmark, 12 p.m. Eastern, Fox Sports 1. Scotland, Germany, big match for the Scots. 2.45 p.m. Eastern, Fox Sports 1. Northern Ireland and Hungary, 2.45 p.m. Eastern, Fox Sports 2. Ireland versus Georgia, 2.45 p.m. Eastern, Fox Sports Plus. The U.S. men's national team beat Peru 2-1 Friday night at RFK Stadium. Josie Altidore scored both goals. First one on a rebound off of a penalty that was saved. The second one set up by Giassi Zardes. Good work from Josie Altidore, who was back in the team after being cut during the Gold Cup. Giassi Zardes, again, star of the show for for the most part, uh, a player who seems to be growing into his role. It's a friendly. We don't take a, we don't put a lot of stock in it, but it is uh, a, a positive, slightly, for the United States heading into uh, next month. They do have Brazil tomorrow night at uh, uh, at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Klinsman has called up Michael Bradley, Jordan Morris, and Sean Johnson for that match, and sent Matt Beasler and William Yarborough home. Clint Dempsey, who was supposed to join the team for the Brazil match, will not. He will stay with the Seattle Sounders. Mexico played to a 3-3 draw in a friendly against Trinidad and Tobago as they also try to get ready for that Confederations Cup playoff. Hector Herrera scored a goal in the 84th minute to get them that draw. They face Argentina tomorrow night in Dallas. So not exactly great going for Mexico right now as they have a new manager, Tuco Ferretti. MLS weekend, Didier Drogba, star of the show. First start for the Montreal Impact, he scored three times. He scored a hat trick in his first start at Stad Saputo to help Montreal to a 4-3 win over Chicago. Seattle, riding the Dempsey's-Martins partnership that is now back in the lineup. They beat TFC 2-1. Martins with a goal, Dempsey with a goal. Looking good for the Sounders again uh, as they play a TFC that was missing Sebastian Javinko, who is out injured. New England crushes Orlando City 3 nothingly win. Star of, this, of that particular show, although... Diego Fadigundes was very good, and the uh, Revs with some lovely team goals in that match. Connor Casey scored twice for Philadelphia. They beat San Jose 2-1 at Avaya Stadium in San Jose. A bit of a surprise. San Jose had been very, very hot. Casey with two-headed goals to lead Philadelphia to a win. FC Dallas last night started five homegrown players, an MLS record, and beat Columbus 3-0 at Mafre Stadium in Columbus Counterattack was just impossible to stop uh, for FC Dallas. Some very good goals on their end. Teixeira scoring, uh, Tiba Harris scoring, Barrio scoring. Good game for the youngsters from Texas. Prince Ali, Al, uh, Prince Ali bin Al Hussein, the man who lost to Sepp Blatter four months ago in a presidential race for FIFA, says he's not sure if he's going to run again. It's a little bit of a surprise considering everybody else seems to be running. We'll see if if Prince Ali decides to go in and take on the rest of the field to replace Sepp Blatter. The Jordanian has said that he does not think Michel Platini is the man to replace Blatter, despite the fact that Platini backed him in that last presidential election. The vote will come early next year. Brazilian legend Zico is in the press saying he's ready to do a debate with the uh, the other candidates for this position, uh, including uh, including a couple of other uh, a couple of other names in addition uh, in addition to Doctor 
What's his name? The, the, excuse me, the Korean. Uh, Dr. Chung Mong Jun of uh, South Korea, who's also in this race. So there you go. There's uh, some movement on the race for FIFA president. Let's take a break here. We've run through the news. Now we'll get ready for Peter McVitie. We'll talk about the Dutch national team in danger of missing out on Euro 2016. What a shock that would be. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Face in the crowd. You're talking too loud. During the past few months, we've created a new weekend tradition, which includes watching your favorite MLS team play on TV, muting the broadcast, heading over to Rabble.tv to hear my audio during the game, and then drinking a cold beverage as we spend 90 minutes together discussing our favorite league. Now Rabble.tv is taking it to the next level with a brand new redesign, as well as new apps for Android and iOS smartphones and tablets. So no matter whether you're at home or on the road, Tune into this Sunday's broadcast between Orlando and Sporting Kansas City and listen to me sharing my thoughts and opinions. With Rabble, you can join in too by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And if you have an iPhone or Android, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast? Call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern for Orlando City versus Sporting Kansas City on Ravel.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, here we are back on Soccer Morning on a Labor Day holiday. Hope you're enjoying your holiday break we are going to keep talking about soccer because that's what we do or football or uh the dutch word is impossible to pronounce for me but i, I could try peter McVitie, who covers dutch football joins us now you can find his work at goal.com and uh, benefoot and many other places peter how are you um uh, not not too bad not too good to be honest <laughs> with you <laughs> well like i said when we got when we connected here at least it's interesting uh from a journalist perspective that that makes for uh, you know, uh, it makes it a little bit better, but it's not good for the Dutch right now. Uh, three, a three nil loss to Turkey in European qualifying. Uh, things are getting very, very dicey. And I think we'll hone in directly here on what you point to as a root cause of this problem. You got a piece over at goal.com, uh, yesterday that outlines the succession plan from Louis van Hall to Danny Blind is, is a disaster. Why is that a disaster? Um, it was basically a disaster from the very be- the very beginning. It was announced even before the 2014 World Cup that Hiddink would come in. Uh, he had asked Ronald Koeman, who did very well at Feyenoord, obviously, and is now doing very well at Southampton, if uh, he would want to be his assistant and succeed him in, uh, after Euro 2016. And for Ronald Koeman, who actually wanted the job, and I would say definitely should have had the job ahead of Hiddink, uh, saw it as well an insult and turned him down. And the Netherlands just decided, well, we wanted an assistant to groom. Uh, we've already got Danny Blind, who's assisted uh, Frank de Boer at Ajax and also Lou van Gaal at the World Cup. Why don't we just stick him in and make him the, the man to succeed Hiddink after Euro 2016? And that is just, I mean, the, the, the plan in itself is, is an okay idea if you have the, the right person who's going to come in and succeed. But there was absolutely no suggestion that Danny Blind has the makings of a, a good head coach. Uh, his last 
time in charge of a, a, a team as a head coach was in Ajax in, in 2005-2006 in which he finished fifth in the league. He won the cup with him. But um, there was no, everything else that he'd done was as, as a technical director or an assistant coach. So there was no real suggestion uh, other than what he'd done as, a, as an assistant uh, to suggest that he was going to be a good head coach. Um, and what he was following in Hiddink was a, a bit of a shambles as well because Hiddink took the, the 3-5-2, system, counter-attacking system that Van Gaal had built uh, ahead of the World Cup, which was based on Ronald Koeman's system that he had built at Feyenoord. Um, and he turned it into, let's just take this team and take them back to the 4-3-3 the dominant Dutch uh, attacking style, which was never going to work because they don't have the players for it. Um, his organisation was, was atrocious. So they, he was making the, the same blatant mistakes from the very beginning right to the very end of his of his tenure. And Danny Blind came in and basically just copied that. Uh, he played Daily Blind at left-back in the first game, which is something you just don't do. Uh, <laughs> and uh, his, his midfield was a, a complete mismatch. His changes in the Iceland game were, were really quite strange and his, his selection overall has been really bad. So... It's basically just been a whole year of, of well, over a year now of um, a complete shambles of a plan from the KNVB. The only positive that I can make out from it is that, well, this, what was supposed to be a, a four-year plan, essentially, has been is over and done with within a year because after the, the, the final two qualifiers coming up, there's really no way, if they don't make it to the competition, which I don't think they will, there's no way that they can stick by Danny Blind and, and stick with this with this plan, so they they do actually have something to build on. That's the the only good thing that I can make of it. But I mean, they've handled the 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 succeeding of Van Gaal just horrifically bad. Right now in Group A, Iceland has qualified, the Czechs have qualified, Turkey is sitting in third place, and the Netherlands are in, in fourth. And that's 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 the stunner is to look up if you haven't been paying attention to look up and see the Dutch sitting in fourth place in in, in a group that. You know, okay. So, so Iceland is a wonderful story, Peter. I think everybody agrees with that. We know the che- the Czechs can play some good football. The, the Turks are or the Turkish are are bad, but this is this is the Netherlands. This is one of Europe's powers. Even when they have a blip, it's not a blip that keeps them out of a European Championship. It, now with this this expanded uh, field for this tournament, if they miss out here, what what does that mean? And, and ultimately, you know, I don't, I'm not one of those people who believes failure is necessary to make the changes that will lead back to success, but is that an argument that the Dutch could make? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think they really have to have a a, a kind of reflection on it and, and see what what has happened here. This is because of of the, the, traditional, the traditional need, and I think the KNVB endorsed it. I think that's probably partly why they, they brought Hiddington is the, this desire to always be a 4-3-3 team and, and constantly dominate football, even though they had just they, they were shown in the, in the World Cup that that's not really a necessity and if they want to succeed they, they probably, well they have to look at different systems and, and different ideals, they have to abandon this this it's a philosophy that they're revered for, they're praised for having this this desire to play attacking football um, and it's it is good but it's not effective and they have to abandon this this need for it because it's it's an ideology essentially yeah. and when you have that you you don't think about well, other strategies you don't think about any other way to play the game and that's what they have to understand well, 
Uh, and that's what they need to, to get beyond now and actually because the players that they've got there are, are good players there's a bit of a gap in the generation which has created a problem but the, the as you say the, the squad is good enough the, the team the history of the, of the nation suggests that this, is a, this was a group that they really shouldn't have had any trouble in right, right. Um, but straight from the, there's only been one game that they've actually convinced in and that was a 6-0 win over Latvia which was always going to be a win even when they looked terrible it didn't seem like they were ever going to lose it but every other game has been shocking we identify this it's not about talent the, the Dutch are still producing incredible talent certainly top you know top 5 top 10 in the world type of talent <clears throat> despite the you know the changing dynamics of the world game, and and obviously, you know, one of the one of the uh, disadvantages of the Netherlands is a, is a relatively small population, but the culture and the history make up for that. But so I guess what I'm, what, I guess what one of my questions is this is this is purely about hubris, and, and this gets into an existential question about what makes Dutch football and whether or not they are, uh, you know, and, and as you said, whether whether they have been committed and they bring in hitting and, and stick to this because. If they lose that identity, they don't. They feel as though they're they're being uh, disrespectful to the history of Dutch football. I mean, who? What is Dutch football? Is the question? <laughs> well, it's a it's a tough one. But you you look at the the Eredivisie, for example, the, the Dutch league is generally a lot. Most teams lining up in a, a four three three formation uh, or a slight variation of it, be it a a four two three one, and they generally play out from the back, attacking football and and playing the ball on the ground um, and it's very it's rare that teams generally build, take away from that for example last season there was a, some criticism towards Philip Koku even though he won the league by 17 points and, and completely trounced every team uh, there was a, a feeling that maybe he should have really adopted a more counter-attacking team with his with his with the players that he had and he generally didn't do it he did develop more um, FC Twente uh, are a team who were last year seen as a, a team that could have pushed uh, Ajax and PSV for the for the league title. Uh, they finished 10th last season. They had one of the best squads in the league, but they finished 10th and they'll be lucky to do that again this season. And that's partly down to financial troubles, but it's also because the coach completely set his team up the wrong way. Again, it should have been a, a, a need to, to use the pace and, and the direction of the, of the team. He set them up in a way that he wanted to dominate football. And this is just very typical in a lot of ways of, of many coaches and, and, um, and the general attitude of, of Dutch football so yeah there has to be a kind of variation from that of, of coaches uh, there are some like um, Peter Bosch at Vitesse and Ron Jans at, at Pixvola who are very intelligent and Ronald Koeman as well um, intelligent coaches who actually see the weaknesses and, and want, to, want to cover for them and actually build a, an effective way of playing but there's just generally not that same feeling and belief that the the nation needs to really stray away from this ideology that's consumed them from the from the seventies. Um, and yeah, as I say, I think the the talent and the and the team is there. I, I think there there are the best players in in the team that are coming through. I've still got a long way to develop. Like Memphis Depay, Yetro Willems, Vinaldum, uh, Virgil Van Dijk is a player who I'm a big fan of. Jordi Classy, Marco Van Ginkel. They've been unlucky with Kevin Stroopman. Um, who's been just plagued by injury, but there is there is enough talent in the team to to actually to have done so much better in, in this group. I mean, they, they really should have qualified. But to stand here and say that they can still get in it, uh, but they just really don't deserve to. There's no 
factor in this this uh, the, uh, from this campaign that suggests that they deserve to be in in the playoffs, or let alone in France next year, and that's a remarkable thing when you think about it with the Netherlands. But in my opinion, it's completely true. So give me a sense. I mean, we were talking about some some bigger picture issues and, and obviously something um, the, the leadership has failed and, and the plan has failed. But specifically, give me a notion of what went wrong uh, against Turkey. And just in order to give me a little bit more of a microcosm of the problems that they're facing right now. I mean, you identify the midfield. We know if you don't, uh, it, you don't have to control the midfield necessarily, but you certainly have to slow your opponent down through the midfield. What's the problem there? Well, I think if you if you look at the the first gate, the first goal, um, uh, which was eight minutes into the game, uh, Netherlands were going on for an attack, uh, and they pushed forward. And and when you as they got towards the goal, Turkey, or as they got out of the box, Turkey had a, looked straight away like they had a really good organisation and a really good shape around them. They immediately snatched the ball and, and pressed forward, and the Netherlands had nothing. They had, the 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 defensive line was gone. No one really knew what they were supposed to do, and it seemed a, f- a fairly straightforward burst through the the middle, and then a, a nice finish to 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 break the deadlock. And that for me was a pretty key example of what's happened with this Netherlands team is that the organisation of the squad uh, has been a shambles from from the very beginning. Uh, as I say, they they had a, a, a need to play daily blend at left back for over the last year generally, which. I mean, in a four-three-three is just something I I, I can't fathom. Um, Van Gaal did it in the in the World Cup, and that was when he he built a, a five-three-two and actually covered for his weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and they also stuck by Wesley Snyder when he was he was struggling really badly. And and again, a four-three-three system. They've had a need to bring in Ibrahim Afalai uh, for a year, even though at the start he hadn't played many games at Barcelona for like two years and wasn't really doing anything at Olympiacos, but still he was Hiddink's lovable wee boy, so he had to bring him in. He did, he played him, he did nothing. And they've still brought him in, and da- uh, Danny Blind again has brought him in in this squad and, and, and overlooked some, some massive players and, and also brought in uh, young players from Ajax who have been playing well but haven't played many games at all. He also said that uh, Van Persie hadn't played enough games to, to play against Iceland, so he didn't bring him on when he brought Huntelaar off. He actually brought on a defender to deal with the the, the sending off of Bruno Martins in there. And then in the next game, he leaves Huntelaar on the bench and starts Van Persie. Bear in mind that he's played no extra games in between those two. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's gen- I mean, it's generally the, 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 the organisation and the understanding of the squad itself itself has just really been a complete mismatch. Um, you also can look at the the first game against Iceland, uh, which was a, a I think it was a two 0 defeat, um, and it was just generally a case of give the ball to Arjen Robin and, and see what he can do. And when Arjen Robin was standing with three men around him and no way to pass the ball and no way to get beyond three men, doesn't matter how good you think Arjen Robin is. Um, they never had a backup plan to actually help them out or to to switch the focus of it. And when you can't identify such obvious issues and and you keep making the same mistakes, then it's a recipe for disaster. And that's that's been the tone of this whole campaign. Looking at the landscape here, two matches left. Um, the, the, it's conceivable they could catch Turkey and, and, and end up in the third spot and make it into a, a playoff. But uh, the way things are shaking out, what do you actually see happening? Because if I'm looking at this correctly, 
Turkey still has um, a match against the Czechs and um, Iceland. And Iceland. Take Iceland at home. Yeah, there you go. Iceland at home. So, uh, you know, and, and meanwhile, the Dutch on the other side of things have Kazakhstan still to play. Um, and then uh, trying to find the other one. What's the, uh, uh, Czech, Republic. the Czech Republic as well? So is there, is there, is it conceivable that they finish third and then they end up in a playoff and, and, and maybe hit the reset button ahead of that? The the brutal thing is that it's not in their hands. Turkey need four points, uh, which yeah. I think is entirely possible. Um, it's it's obviously tough, but I, they are so close that I'm pretty sure that they can beat Iceland at home because they are they're really strong at home. As I say, they they do they are well organised. Iceland are through already, so yeah. it's unclear how they will set up although they will try and win the group obviously but um i think that's entirely a winnable game and against the czech republics i think they can they can also get something from it uh although it is away so it's a, a much tougher game netherlands i would say of surely they can beat kazakhstan i i i don't say it with confidence but i have to believe i have to believe something um because the, the game in the amsterdam arena was no way a uh, uh, an easy win. It was a three-one win in uh, in Amsterdam, and it, it was no way a, a stroll. Um, but I think hopefully they will have something about them to to see to get three points from there. And then Czech Republic again, a team who who uh, taught them a lesson in the first game. Although this one is in Amsterdam, um, I'm not confident about that. So as I say, I, I generally don't feel that the Netherlands are going to reach the playoffs. And as far as I'm concerned, they don't they don't deserve to be there. Well, then you know I, we we can't project ahead. I mean, we have two more two more matches in October, so I, we don't know what's going to happen yet. But but I imagine that regardless of whether or not they sneak their way into the Euro 2016 field or not, there, there's going to be some sort of reckoning ahead of that tournament next summer. Or if they don't qualify, there certainly will be a reckoning for uh, for Danny Blind and, and uh, for the Dutch FA. What what do they do? I mean, where do they turn? You, you said that you know there's something to build on. There's certainly the talent in the in the uh, in the pool, but where do you go? It's it's a really tough one. The, the the brutal thing was in the early stages of Hiddink's uh, tenure, everybody thought, well, he has to go. Um, and I, it was really difficult to pick out a successor for him other than Danny Blind because, well, they overlooked Koeman. Koeman, I don't think, would be interested now. Uh, Frank De Boer isn't, doesn't feel that he's ready, and I think we'll focus on a, a club career before he moves to, to the national team. And it's really difficult to actually pick out a, a coach. Uh, I think they would have to go for someone who is not really established on a, a kind of European front. So somebody like Peter Bosch for me at Vitesse would be a, a, a decent shout. Uh, Frank Rijkaard has been named as one, but I'm, I'm not convinced. The other thing that they could do, which I would endorse, and, and if it's uh, the right thing is, uh, or if it's the right candidate, is to go for somebody from a, another country, which might actually benefit them as a save for this uh, to to shake off this this need to to set up in a four three three in every competition um if they can br- bring in somebody with with new ideas and, and 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 a new stance on it and the knvb can can endorse it then i think it would be a a, a decent a decent move but um it's difficult to say what kind of candidates are going to be going to be available in in 2016 but they they really need to acknowledge their mistakes that's been the the thing about this they haven't they've always the the well the general director Bert van Oostveen last night said that he fully supports uh Danny Blind and and his staff which 
it's probably fair given that he was it was his, his him and his team's decision to make this but yeah. he has to acknowledge the mistake of the general vision in itself and say that well this wasn't really a good idea from the beginning because unless they do that then there are if they don't at least know it themselves then um, it's going to be a mess for a, a few years I think if they keep going in this direction you, you know I, I we're thinking of, uh, t- thinking about the the Dutch troubles and, and talking this through it just it, it brings to mind uh, what the neighbors are doing. And, and Belgium has come on as a power recently in, in Europe, certainly rising in the rankings. Right now they're a point behind Wales in Group B, but they're going to be in the in the Euro 2016 tournament. There's no doubt about, about, about that for most people. And, and they've, they've turned it on in terms of producing talent. That doesn't necessarily always re- reflect on the field, Peter. And we've seen that Mark Wilmots is not necessarily happy. They beat Cyprus 1-0. Uh, but Give me, give me just an idea of whether or not the Dutch system is, I'm not going to say tired at this point, but I mean, again, there's a lot of talent there. But we, we see the, the Eredivisie sort of taking a back seat and being a second tier league in, in the modern, uh, modern, uh, environment. Where is Dutch football in relation to somebody, somebody like, like Belgium? Again, the domestic league, Eredivisie is still probably ahead of, uh, of, uh, the pro league by a significant margin, but the, the Belgians are, are sending talent all over Europe. Yeah, they are. They they are farming them out from a, a very young age to to very good leagues. Obviously, one of which is is the Netherlands, and that's probably quite a, a big factor. And well, a lot of these players in the Belgian team, uh, like uh, Vertonghen and 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 Alderweireld and Van Meilen and stuff, they they generally came through through the Netherlands uh, squads, uh, and also they did it in France as well. Obviously, and um, they've really benefited from it. The Netherlands, of course, they are still producing these players. They still have some fantastic talents in the ranks, uh, and we are generally quite excited about it. The what I would say is that what Belgium have done, which has been very smart, is that from a while, from a couple of years ago, they actually built on this team. They were always building something for the future, which is well, the peak of it is coming now. The Netherlands, though, is still kind of struggling to deal with the 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 departure in a way of the likes of Wesley Schneider. And Robin van Persie and Klaus Jan Huntelaar, and I, I wouldn't include Arjen Robin in there because I'm convinced that he can still play for about another 15 years and still be <laughs> one of the best players in the league yeah. in the world. But um, with with van Persie and, and Huntelaar, for example, it's quite a big worry because well, there's been, they've been the two quality strikers that the Netherlands have had, um, but. We're start, we're finding it difficult to pick out a, a successor for them because there isn't an obvious top class striker from the from the the current Dutch team. Luke De Jong is is seen as the maybe the 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 ideal candidate because he's rebuilding his career essentially after the 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 trouble in Germany and also at Newcastle, um, and he's seen as as the next one. But Netherlands haven't really been building anything to to deal with that kind of shift in generation as i say there is a gap in between the two uh the the players of the likes of memphis Depay and and georginio vinaldum and stuff right up uh, there's a gap between them and 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 Huntelar, van persie and robin and schneider so they have to kind of deal with that but belgium really planned for that from from a few years ago whereas netherlands is still trying to 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 get the best out of out of the the older guns that they've got and when it comes to a life without a life after uh Huntelaar and Van Persie then it's going to become quite difficult for them to to deal with so they have to find a a solution to that immediately and uh from then on we can see what position they're going to be in but it's a tough one to to sort out I think well, it it brings to mind some issues of being 
the Netherlands again in this European environment, in the world environment where, I mean, we, we saw the Germans uh, sort of recognize their problems, go through some, some reforms and turn out a world champion. Um, but keeping up your level when you're the Dutch and you have that history and okay, no, no world cup titles, but certainly, uh, you know, lots of, of rich tradition and, and incredible players. How do you stop and say, you know what, we're going to not worry too much about our results for a while. At least like, you know, obviously we want to qualify for major tournaments, but we're not going to, to necessarily sweat, um, you know, a quarterfinal appearance or a round of 16 appearance. We'll, we'll, we'll put some effort into building, for the future, I guess that's a talent issue, and again, the Dutch don't have a talent issue. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's true. Yeah, but the the thing with the the German one was that they could they really helped improve their league as well. Yes, and right. the Netherlands, the Eredivisie, doesn't have that same potential of being a, a league that can generally so that can bring in through young players, which they do, but they can't they can't hold on to them and help them kind of benefit the national team and the way the German revolution was, was built around. So the Netherlands have to send out these these players to, to the Premier League and, and the Bundesliga and, and Serie A. And the problem is when they lose them too early. Uh, and that's the, the hard thing to deal with because then an entire what can be a, a remarkably um, bright career with immense potential can be almost completely ruined from the from the very beginning. Um, so the it's difficult for them to to kind of sort out the issue of of really helping Dutch football in general in order to fuel the national team. So it's generally a case of trying to to work out the right structure of a of a playing style for the the national team at the moment, and then and then taking it from there. But mm. um, they don't have the same potential in the league as I would say as as the Germans do to be able to, to deal with that. But if you're ever going to look at a way of of building for the future, they have to do it now. They have to do it immediately with with this young generation of players because they do have still some amazing players in in the ranks. Um, it's just a case of getting them ready for the the 2018 World Cup and and seeing what they can do from there and and then building for for Euro 2020. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a, a bad state for the Dutch national team at the moment. Uh, fourth place in Group A of European qualifying for France 2016. Um, again, P- Peter McVitie joining us, um, just talking through some of the issues with the Dutch. Da- Danny Blind not having a good run. Uh, Peter's identified part of the problem being the transition from Louis Van Hull to Gloos Hiddink, uh, now to Danny Blind. All right, so uh, we've talked about the, the possibilities here. Uh, you don't ex- you don't necessarily think they deserve to be in the field next year. Uh, I, I I just wonder what a what a tournament, what a European Championship without the Dutch would be. Uh, not just from on the on the field, Peter, but you know the Dutch fans. What are they going to do? I mean, the, the Belgians, the Belgian fans actually uh, sold their support to the highest bidder for the World Cup a couple of years back. Can, oh, we, yeah. can we see the Dutch do, Dutch fans uh, latch on to somebody else? Yeah, I think I think they might, but hopefully they'll uh, they'll get behind the Belgians because what they're doing is is really amazing and um, really it'll be really interesting to see how they how they improve from here because I was really uh, enjoyed watching them in the in the World Cup. I know a lot of people didn't; they expected something a bit more vibrant and, and entertaining. But um, yeah, I mean when you're watching the likes of of Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard, it's uh, you you can't help but 
get behind them. So hopefully they'll they'll turn something in there. But it might be a bit difficult for them to to support a local rival. Yeah. Personally, I'm ho- I'm still hoping that Scotland will get through. So there maybe I can I can turn a few people yeah, on you, you here expect- into Scotland. You got any expectations for that game today? By the way, uh, uh, well we we did well against them in in, in Germany. Um, but when you lose one 0 to to Georgia and pretty much dash your hopes. Uh, taking on Germany and at Hamden is not really the the game you want to follow. So yeah. I think they will actually put in a decent performance, but I'm expecting nothing but a a defeat, and uh, that's that will be us another another tournament gone by us. I've still the 1998 World Cup still the only major tournament I've seen Scotland play in. So it's mm. I think it's depressing enough being a, a Netherlands fan. It's the, even worse when you're a Netherlands and a Scotland fan. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, now it just it just you know we are living in a world now. This is certainly happening at the club level in a much more obvious way with with the money involved. But even on the international level, Peter, there's stratification has happened, and uh, you know we might see somebody pop up, Iceland, for example. And I, that should give countries like Scotland hope for the future. But <coughs> it's, it's easier, <coughs> excuse me, it's easier said than done. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's um, especially in the international level where the the, the margins are are generally so fine. I mean, it's the the quali- this qualification system for expanding the Euros is supposed to help the the smaller teams, and and it has. But um, it's the 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 ones like Iceland are getting through, strolling through, deservedly so. And and there are so many other ones that well, are never ever still even with with that expansion, are never ever going to make it far or, or get into the into the tournament. So it's. Uh, it's generally always the the big guns that are going to shine, unless, of course, you're the Netherlands and, and totally self-destructive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Peter McVitie covers Dutch football in many places, including Goal.com, where you can find that piece on the succession of coaches for the Netherlands national team. Make sure you follow him on Twitter as well. It's Peter McVitie. There's one T in there. Uh, Peter, appreciate the time. Fantastic, as always. Uh, we'll uh, send some good thoughts towards the Scots today. <laughs> Thanks very much. Cheers yeah. for having me on. There goes Peter. Let's take a break. When we come back, the phone lines will be open on a Labor Day. I hope you're like sitting around ready to call. Like you got nothing else to do. You're not working. Call me up. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. During the past few months, we've created a new weekend tradition, which includes watching your favorite MLS team play on TV, muting the broadcast, heading over to Rabble.tv to hear my audio during the game, and then drinking a cold beverage as we spend 90 minutes together discussing our favorite league. Now Rabble.tv is taking it to the next level with a brand new redesign, as well as new apps for Android and iOS smartphones and tablets. So no matter whether you're at home or on the road, Tune into this Sunday's broadcast between Orlando and Sporting Kansas City and listen to me sharing my thoughts and opinions. With Rabble, you can join in too by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And if you have an iPhone or Android, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast? Call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern for Orlando City versus Sporting Kansas City on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. 
with Jason Davis. Here we are back on a Labor Day Monday. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks to Peter McVitie for showing up, giving us some insight into what's going on with with the Dutch national team. It's a hard uh, road for them to Euro 2016 at this point. They've dug themselves quite the hole. We can talk about that European qualifying in general. Iceland, Iceland party. Hooray. They made it. They're in. It happened. Congratulations to all of the Iceland fans out there. Tiny Island Nation making it into Euro 2016. A big accomplishment. Still a chance to finish top of their group as well. So there's that. Our phone lines are open. 646-832-3909 is the phone number. Jump on. Talk to me. Talk to me about the U.S. men's national team. And I'll just give you my perspective a bit here as we start this segment. I went to the game on Friday night. I went with my... Uh, my significant other, and my girlfriend, and uh, there was, I, I was uh, towards one end of the field. I was basically behind one of the corner flags. So not the best perspective to watch that game in terms of analysis. And therefore, I don't have any. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it's not important that they won the game. Sure it is. From a confidence perspective, it is. But when it comes to whether or not they played well enough to give you a sense that they've got things right ahead of Mexico next month, I, I don't know about that. I'm I'm not saying that that we should just throw out that result. I'm not trying to downplay what happened. I'm only saying that I can't I can't comment on it. And I haven't gone back. I didn't record the game. I probably could have done that. Should I have recorded the friendly and gone back and sat through two hours of friendly in order to get some analysis done? I don't know. I mean that's a, that's a major commitment. That's a serious commitment to have to sit there and. Look at a, again, a friendly, and Klinsman has made friendlies his domain. He is successful in friendlies. He's figured out a way to make the substitutions work. Clearly, Jossie's artist was good on Friday night. Clearly, Josie Outdoor was good on Friday night. As I said, it was difficult to kind of get a sense specifically of how the midfield played. I thought Tim Ream was pretty good at left back. Is there anybody who doesn't think that? I mean, I guess what would be a fascinating exercise for me is having watched that game from the perspective I did with all of the distractions around me, sitting amongst mostly Peruvian fans in my particular area with some Americans sprinkled in, is to go and look at, say, the player ratings that that other people have done to try to determine if my assessment, just from watching that game, my basic assessment, again, I'm not saying it's the end-all be-all, but I do have an opinion on a couple of different guys whether or not that matches up with the consensus, with the general consensus. Maybe I can get something out of Roberto here. What's up, Roberto? Hey, um, Jason, good morning. Morning. I uh, hope you're enjoying your Labor Day weekend. Uh, I, I would love it if I – I mean, this is no offense to all you guys. I love you people, and I love talking about soccer, but I kind of would like to have today off. But I don't. It's okay. <laughs> I can't complain about my job, Roberto, so why would I complain about no, having not. to work? There you go. Yeah, what's on your mind today? Uh, first, I, I just want to mention something. Do you remember the podcast that you came on, Soccer Mo- um, Soccer, Mo- um, Lola Football? Do I remember what? Do you remember coming on Lola Miss Football a couple of months ago? Uh, yes, 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 yes. You're, yes, I do remember is that. It, was, that a mo- was that months ago? Today's- years ago? It seems like forever ago. Yeah, uh, today's the second anniversary. Okay. So, um... Anyone wants to listen? Okay, go ahead. All right. free free plug for it. Roberto's uh, podcast, Low Limit Football. Yeah, you can go find that on. Uh, yeah, I'll find the link on Twitter. All right, what else is on your mind today, Roberto? Uh, yeah, um, I just want your 
perspective as a fan, how you viewed the match against Peru on Friday night? I viewed it as a friendly that had very little value other than Josie Outdoor getting a bit, a bit of confidence, Jossie's artist continuing to grow into a role. I, I don't know what else you can – again, I thought Tim Ream was good, but I don't know if that's what everybody else thinks, so it's hard for me to decide whether or not that, that game means anything. I mean, I tweeted after the match, that was a fine friendly to attend, that's all, because that's all I can say. I don't have any other authority to wax poetic about Klinsman pushing them in the right direction or – I don't like I said I don't want to throw it completely out the window, but it's a friendly. Yeah, exactly. It has no um, I guess you could say no importance at the moment. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it has value as a as a as something approximating game conditions for what you've got next month, which will really matter. That's about it. I mean, it's and again, Klinsman has done well in friendlies uh, over the course, you know, in totality over the course of his tenure. That doesn't ever mean it doesn't ever mean anything. It doesn't feed necessarily into what they're going to do when the games start to count again. But do you think that maybe if we show a good performance, maybe a draw, even maybe a win against Brazil tomorrow night, would that be a step forward, or it's still something yeah, that, that doesn't that, show any importance? That would be a step forward. In fact, I I think that more. Yeah, I I, I guess. I mean. I'm not sure the scoreline matters so much as limiting Brazilian chances and staying organized. I mean, I know I'm I'm too practical for a lot of people's tastes, but I, I still think you build from the back when you're a team like the United States, especially when you take on a, a side like Brazil or Mexico. Now, Brazil not going to play exactly the same way Mexico does. In fact, big differences there. But you're talking about te- technical players who have the ability to pass the ball around the park. And if you can limit chances, if you can stay... If you can keep your shape and you have center backs who understand where they're supposed to be and you have a goalkeeper who's got authority and leadership back there, I'm going to feel way better about their chances on October 10th coming out of that match than I would before. But that's 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 probably about it. Yeah, of course, but I, I, I honestly would be completely surprised if we do beat Brazil tomorrow night, honestly. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. It's definitely, um, it's definitely, it would definitely be a surprise. I mean, um, you know, what, for whatever problems Brazil has had uh, occasionally over the last couple of years, um, you know, and we all vividly remember what the Germans did to them last year. They're they're still an immensely talented team with players yeah. who can take things over by themselves, and uh, that's going to be on display tomorrow in uh, at Foxborough. Yeah, I can't wait. I hope it's a good result, hopefully for the United States, and it can show something that we should be confident about heading into the match next month against Mexico. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I bl- I'm, I'm with you, Roberto. I mean, again, not going to get overexcited over a, a win or a draw, not going to get too low about a loss depending on, you know, and even if they don't play well. Again, it's, Mac- it's Brazil. That doesn't necessarily say how they're going to play against Mexico, but you you want to see certain things within a narrow scope of uh, of what we care about. And that's an Ethan Finley call-up next month. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, yeah. I appreciate the call, Roberto. Thanks no, a lot. enjoy your Labor Day. There you Jason. go. Roberto up in Connecticut, I'm sure he's enjoying his. Let's check in with Patrick in South Carolina. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Jason. How are you doing? I, I'm well. Is this going to be a call for me to cover something? Is that what you're, you're doing? Uh, kind of. Okay, now I'm just giving um, you a hard I time. I to talk. Go ahead. So I wanted to talk about uh, college soccer. Okay. Because um, I don't know if you covered it in the rundown. I missed that bit this morning. But there were a couple big games this weekend, notably Twitter. Uh, 
the Maryland UCLA game is getting a lot of yeah. buzz, you know, highlights going around. Um, also, I need to give a shout out to where I am now, Clemson, South Carolina. We had a crowd just about as big, if not bigger, uh, at our game, 3 0 win against South Carolina. Um, but what I wanted to ask is, what do you think we need to do moving forward to kind of progress the game at the college level, both on the field and culturally? Because one of my big rights right now with college soccer is the culture very much isn't there. It feels like going out to like a high school sports game where yeah. like, you know, the chants are all kind of the same, almost well, childish. I, mean, it, I don't know that there's a way around that, Patrick. I mean, the the problem is, and, and I find it fascinating that that, that teams are in the, the powerhouse, uh, powerhouse teams. I mean, let's not, I'm not going to paint this across everybody, but I know like UC Santa Barbara gets big crowds out. Uh, obviously Maryland, Clemson, as you said, there, there are, there are colleges that get, and big crowds is relative. What? How many people out of Clemson? Five, six, seven thousand? Uh, we had about 8,000 people. Eight. Okay, eight, which is a, fant- totally packed out. a fantastic crowd for a college soccer match, but in the grand scheme, effectively nothing. I mean, effectively nothing yeah. compared, to, no, I agree. compared to basketball, compared to football, certainly at a place like Clemson. So, And even Maryland, which is a middling football school, massive basketball school. They get out, you know, something like that, seven, eight thousand people, and and we kind of go, oh, gaga about it, but it's still not culturally significant. It, it, it's, I, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard for me to to wrap my head around how college soccer fits into the landscape where our focus in terms of the professional game is so much more on on developing kids earlier than that. And I know we've, mm-hmm. we're, I know that the MLS academies are still because of the nature of MLS and because kids aren't ready at 18 traditionally they can go through an academy go to college still come back and play for their mls team and sign a homegrown contract i mean you know um there's lots of guys that harry ship has done that obviously lots yeah, of guys um, have done that uh if i get another clemson shadow samuel cavita center back for us last year okay was, uh, our spell academy product and he went back he's playing he got some minutes with them he's mostly been playing with their usl side so right right and, and, and again the usl element changes things a bit for college soccer i mean i People who call, who care about college soccer and follow college soccer will tell you there's probably a place for it. I just don't know what that like. I don't know what that is in terms of development. I mean, I think more and and culturally speaking, the the only thing you can really do is continue to push the notion that soccer is is a worthwhile watch for the you know for the rabid fans that are twenty you know eighteen nineteen twenty years old to go out to. I mean, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's part of the party culture, I mean that that obviously is both good and bad. Um, uh, you know, they're just you're working against in most places. You're working against much more established sports that um, are more relevant. I, and I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know, uh, Patrick. If you have any thoughts on this, I, I would love to hear them. I, I mean, I'm kind of where you are. I mean, I just feel like we're kind of it's in a weird place because it's not as big as some of the other sports. But you know, soccer's kind of gaining popularity, so we're getting bigger crowds out year after year, but it's still kind of in an awkward place. You well, out and, you know what? I, one thing I will know, say every once in a while, we're, we're, sorry, we're, every we're, once in a while, you know, the crowd's like, you know, getting into the game or some chance or something, but there are points in the game where, you know, it's just kind of silence, you know, maybe people looking at their phone and they're not quite engaged in soccer the same way that you go, you know, go to SKC or right, Portland uh, right. to see those fans engaged in. And that's yeah, kind of yeah. what that, needs to happen, but I don't know how that happens. Well, that's part of the learning yeah. that's part of the learning curve, right? So, we've got this we've got these two parallel things. One is the rise of popularity of soccer, okay? And that, and at the same time, you have uh, a, a college soccer environment 
that's changing pretty dramatically. I think that one thing that that probably would help, and I, I know it doesn't maybe this isn't even intuitive on any level, but one thing that might help is cha- is getting the rules in line with traditional soccer rules, getting oh, rid of yeah. the American Americanization crap that they've done to this college game based on you know stuff yeah. that happened forty years ago. That way, it's more it, that it more replicates the, the pro soccer watching experience. I mean. You watch college football. You know there's a couple of different rules, but it's the same game for the most part. I mean, we're we're not one handed to uh, one hand or uh, one foot inbounds versus two foot inbounds is not a big deal. When you're talking about college soccer versus pro soccer, the unlimited substitutions, the constant stop and start of that game, the uh, just so much of what college soccer is is different, and it's weird to a person who has uh, come into the game through the so- the pro soccer portal. And because of the rise of, uh, in popularity of soccer, that's where most people are entering, right? So you're 13 years, you're 13 years old, you become a fan of the Premier League or MLS or whatever, and you pick a team. Uh, five years later, you're, you, you enter college, and you go, oh, my school has a good college soccer team. I'm going to go watch this team, and you do, and you're kind of like, what the heck is happening? I don't understand any of this. That's something that could change pretty, pretty immediately. That would make a difference. Yep, I, I would totally agree. I mean, um, Currently this year, I'm rooming with some uh, students here that are exchange students from uh, Germany and Scotland. I brought them out to the game, and they were asking me so many questions about, <laughs> you know, why are the substitutions so weird? Right. Why does the clock count down? Right. Why is there no stoppage time? Right. What have you done to our beautiful game? Yeah. You know, stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah, and that, that would yeah. help. That would help with developing players. How many times have you heard people say yes. the college game doesn't provide for giving these kids a platform, fitness wise, certainly for the professional game because they been you know they've been in and out of of college matches and the college season is too short and i think they're working on on fixing that problem so there's a lot in there patrick a lot to unpack mm-hmm. all right yep no conclusions made but that was a good discussion appreciate it yep there goes patrick right. thanks a lot man. let's uh let's talk mm-hmm. to bill uh in queens what's up bill hey jason how you doing happy labor day happy labor day sir let's all recognize let's hey, all stop um, and recognize the, the, the workers of America who have helped make this country great, and then we'll move on. Absolutely, absolutely. So a uh, question I had was about uh, the Iceland uh, national team. What do you think uh, uh, a program like the Canadian national team can take from the uh, the success that Iceland has had in, in developing players and, and achieving an incredible amount of success in, in conditions that are somewhat similar to uh, to, to what the uh, to what the Canadian uh, you know landscape experience. You know, you know, I need to dive in a little bit more. Um, some uh, there's some really good pieces out there on on Iceland. I'm sure Trevor's kind of caught up. Uh, Brian Blickenstaff has covered it. There's a bunch of other people who have written about what they've done. A lot of it is coaching, coaching, coaching. Um, you'll see every time somebody references what Iceland has done, they'll point to the fact that they've got thousands of european uh, a licensed certified coaches and, and that's uh, you know a lot like like of the coaches in the country 80% have their a license or something like that i mean so it's it's coaches who have made that commitment and a, and a federation who has made the commitment to get their coaches educated so we are in 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 this part of the world meaning the united states and canada what we've got is still a culture that depends on the on the part-time coach on the amateur coach and while that's fine to a certain extent, what it means is that they're un- they're less likely to be well versed in in those elements. I'm not saying that certification is the end all be all, but at least you have a platform and you have areas you can focus on. I mean, how many times have we've seen coaches, well meaning coaches, guys who 
probably, you know, care about the game on some level. I'm not, I think we've all moved past, we've moved past the uninitiated dad and, and we're moving into a better era, but we're still dealing with thousands and millions, maybe, of kids who are coached by guys who don't know what they're doing. Not because they don't want to know, but, but they just don't know what they're doing. So how do you go about getting those coaches educated? That's, I think, step one. Right, definitely. I think the other thing, too, is I read that they um, had really invested a lot in, in indoor uh, fields with, with artificial turf that they could play you know, year-round rather than just like, oh, well, you know, it's, there's snow outside, so there's not really any, there's no training that we can do. Yeah, I think that, that they found a way around a problem that they have. I don't know that that works for everybody, and certainly when you're talking about a small country with 300,000 people and you know, a couple thousand players, you're not talking about a, a gigantic investment that way. Um, you know, Canada's still got millions of people in a vast geographic area. How do you cover that in the same way if you want to try to focus on something like, uh, like indoor, uh, indoor facilities or even small sided indoor facilities? Indeed. Cool. Hey, and, uh, last thing, just want to give a shout out to, uh, the, uh, the USL Red Bulls, too. Only one loss in their last 10 games. Great win for them on Saturday night. Uh, a lot of young kids wish more, uh, Red Bulls MLS fans would, uh, Pay attention to them. They're a lot of fun to watch. Okay, there you go. That's uh, Bill and Queens. A word for uh, for all of you. Thanks for the call, Bill. Uh, about the, the young Red Bulls. The baby bulls, I think, is what they're called. Right, Bill? There you go. So I, I, I clicked the button. I thought he was hanging on. He's not. All right. That's a that's a good holiday edition of Soccer Morning, I think. The, the phones are slowing down. In fact, they're dead at this point. We've had the discussion with Peter McVitie about what's wrong with the Dutch national program. Uh, that's something to, to watch going into October as well. Not only... Do we have uh, the United States in a big match against um, against Mexico for the right to go to the Confederations Cup? You've got those crucial last two qualifiers in Europe. Hey, big qualifier today, right? Scotland uh, against Germany. A couple other games I mentioned uh, when we did the rundown. Armenia and Denmark. Northern Ireland and Hungary. Ireland, Georgia. All of that coming up today in Europe. So you've got a full... If, if you're off today, now's the day to watch European soccer on your television. I know college football is underway. I, I watched some of that this weekend. I also watched some soccer. It, it, if you're a sports fan, just a general sports fan in the United States right now, it's an amazing time. You could pretty much fill up your whole life watching sports, which probably isn't good for your personal relationships, but is awesome otherwise. It's pretty fantastic. So what I'm saying is, yeah, yeah be careful. Watch as much sports as you want, but be careful. That's all. All right, uh, that's it, right? We're, we're done. We had a good. We had a good show. We're going to come back tomorrow. We'll definitely preview the United States against Brazil at Foxborough tomorrow night. We'll talk about these European matches happening today. I'm sure we'll have some excellent guests to talk about something happening in the soccer world right now. Trevor, anything else? Backhill.com/store, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Uh, what else? Rabble.tv. Am I done? I think I'm done. All right. Let me just hit that button. We'll get rid of... I will put some music in here for me to get out. Man. All right. It's a holiday. Enjoy it. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every cursive letter? Tell me... 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 